everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show, a Christmas Eve Eve episode of the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. Joining me today, I've got a man who is as graceful at, sp- at full speed as a Tottenham goalkeeper. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me once again on this festive edition of TSS. My pleasure, indeed. That's why you don't script out a joke, because you trip over it when you're delivering it. Uh, but you rolled right through that. Uh, Ryan Bailey is here with me today to talk uh, a lot of the Premier League, some interesting games this weekend, a little bit about Italy, a little bit about Germany. But up front, we want to talk a little bit about Charlotte, because here I was logging into Twitter last week, and there was Ryan Bailey uh, surrounded by what appeared to be slightly drunk uh, Charlotte fans. Uh, it was nice to see you in video form uh, working with, with uh, Charlotte. Yeah, the Carolina cat's out of the bag, Tay-Tay. I'm going to be doing a little bit of work with uh, Charlotte MSS. The Charlotte MSS? Yeah. Oh, Charlotte boy. MLS? Oh, gosh. And fire. The, <laughs> the, <laughs> it was a good run we had, anyway, that week <laughs> we had together with uh, Charlotte MSS. Um, the as-yet-unnamed team doesn't even have colours at the moment. They weren't revealed at the announcement either, but I'm very excited to be doing some work with this team going forward. Basically, I've been, I moved to Charlotte in 2011, and a soccer team has landed on my doorstep, so it feels pretty. It feels pretty great that that's happening. To be honest, uh, what I'm really excited about is that uh, Charlotte MSS. You had some numbers behind that. Our president's going to tweet out that it's a gang in Charlotte instead of an MLS <laughs> franchise. I'm pretty excited about that as well. <laughs> you can sidestep that one if you want. But how was that? Uh, how was that? Uh, that it, like the introductory interview with David Tepper. Uh, it feels like it was a big day for him, a lot of energy. Uh, what was he like kind of in that – what appeared to be – was it an actual bar or was it a like fake bar that had been constructed for purposes of that interview? Oh, the whole thing was virtual reality. Yeah, that wasn't even <laughs> David Tepper. It was an actor. It was a guy who plays Golem. Um, it's Andy Serkis. There you yeah, go. Yeah, it was Andy Serkis. That's right. <laughs> no, it, um, it was a bar called Hooligans Uptown okay. in Charlotte. We call it Uptown, not Downtown, because we're cool like that. Yeah. Um, you and Billy Which Joel. is like basically the main soccer bar. And it was full of fans. And I had, uh, I'd been waiting to interview the billionaire David Tepper all day long. And it got to about 5 p.m. And I got to do it in front of several hundred semi-drunk people which wasn't nerve-wracking at all uh, to speak to the billionaire David Tepper for the first time but it was great it went really well the launch went very well I think and I'm very excited about what this team is going to be doing uh, doing around here and what you're going to be doing is like different video content for them and over the next few months so we can sort of check your feed or we can promote a little bit of that of that on this show because uh, we like to promote Ryan Bailey and he does interesting things Oh, that's very kind. Yeah, I'm going to be columning, columning. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to make that a verb now for um, Charlotte MLS 2021.com and doing some on-camera stuff as the team starts to build, as they start to hire staff, hopefully doing some interviews. Hopefully going to be, I'm, I'm pitching some projects to, uh, to show the growth of this team, shall we say. Don't want to reveal any more right now, but there's uh, some good times ahead, hopefully. I look forward to it, um, and I mm. very much look forward to you pronouncing .com from now on, because the kicker's announcer here in Richmond, uh, the stadium announcer, always says .com with that like like rapid-fire but like loud intonation of like .com, and I enjoy <laughs> that you hit that too, so that seems to be an American soccer thing that Ryan has now bought into, and I look forward to more American accents from you. Well, there have been quite a lot of comments about how I don't have the correct accent to do this job for Charlotte, so I might just have to switch to my southern. Or my favourite accent is the stadium announcer for the Carolina Panthers. You know, they have that really exaggerated monster monster truck rally kind of voice. Yeah, It's a Carolina Panthers first down! That kind of stuff. I like that. That's impressive. I, I might just do that stick for the with whole... that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but do all your interviews like that and sort of like, like maybe have like an Ultimate Warrior uh, persona and just see if people pick up on it or not. Uh, I, I look forward to you sort of developing that character as we go. I don't know if Charlotte will, but I certainly look forward to it. There was, um, also... there was another what? podcast I was listening to. I'll just add this in. Um, Macho Man Randy Savage was on a TV show in the 90s in the UK. I think it was when SummerSlam was at Wembley Stadium. And he, he's like talking to these young kids and because he's got that, he had that faintly ridiculous voice, didn't he? Yeah. And him just talking oh, to yeah. normal British children, it's the most absurd thing you've ever heard. It's great. You should look it up. <laughs> it's also in the like, peak steroids era of like, watching the old Ultimate Warrior videos and then some of the Macho Man as well. They were, uh, they were on some things. They were on some next level yeah. things. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move away from wrestling and Charlotte. Uh, we're going to talk about the Premier League a bit. A lot happened there. Uh, but we're going to start with the Club World Cup. Liverpool are your Club World Champions next Woo. up. I'm assuming some sort of galactic challenge. I think, well, actually, in all seriousness, why don't Liverpool play France for the title of the world's greatest team in the world ever in the world super duper world? 
you, you, I feel like you're saying it slightly in jest. I do feel like this is a thing that Gianni Infantino is going to propose at some point in his tenure. Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, and don't make it just those two teams. Make it a 32-team tournament and put it in China. <laughs> of course. Of course. No, you're, you're forgetting the key step of you do it once as club World Cup champion playing the World Cup champion, and then that goes sort of well. Then you expand it to 32 teams automatically. That's the Gianni Infantino <laughs> model. There um, we go. But there, were, there was a question about that, about like why Liverpool don't have any French players, uh, because it would allow. like You wouldn't have to have the FIFA duplicate thing. You could actually have two full teams. I think Klopp basically just said, we can't afford them. French players are too expensive. We, we would like them, but we can't have them. So maybe we could have our super-duper champions of the planet uh, competition. Yeah, maybe. Um, French players are too expensive. Is that the narrative we're buying there? They did no, go for Van Dijk much. instead of Laporte, didn't they, that, that, back <laughs> yeah, a, a yes. while ago? Yes. And like, I think maybe if you're looking at a few French players, maybe like if you're only ever trying to buy, buy, say, like Paul Pogba or Antoine Griezmann, Antoine Griezmann is one that I think Klopp mentioned by name. Yeah, maybe those are a bit more expensive. But I I do think you could probably find some bargains in that bin for sure. Yeah, I think you could probably get Yuri Jorkoyev for like a pint these days. That's a deep cut. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have a few thumbs from this game. Yep. Uh, Ryan, do you got any thumbs up, thumbs down from the Club World Cup? I've got a few. I think I'll give a thumbs down to the referee and the VAR team. Lots mm-hmm. of odd decisions in this. Uh, no less odd than the 92nd minute uh, Sadio Mane being brought down by Rafinha mm-hmm. in a last-ditch tackle. Um, and then it going to have the referee going to have a look at the screen. And then giving, of all things... A drop ball. As you do, right? So it went from penalty to VAR to, oh, maybe it's going to be a free, out, free kick outside the box to, oh, no foul given, yellow card rescinded, drop ball. Is that about it? That's about it. And it just, I don't know what was, is the insinuation that it was a dive? Is the insinuation that it wasn't a mm-hmm. record? I, I just don't understand how, this is another, yet another episode of Ryan doesn't understand the rules of soccer anymore, which we do touch <laughs> on every week, but that was another example it, of it. It's one of my favorite recurring features. The way I understood <laughs> it, and I may be incorrect, is just that VAR ruled that Mane had gotten his shot away when the contact occurred, and so then it became a... I guess, quote unquote, like a lawful challenge because the defender's going in, but the ball is already gone. But to me right there, that that means it's not a lawful challenge if you're going in and making contact after the ball is gone. Like we see that given as a foul all the time. So then it goes to maybe like where the infraction occurred. But it sounds like that wasn't like really as much of a part of it as, as it was. Oh, the shot's gone. So we can't really give a penalty. And I guess the tackle didn't really interfere that much in the shooting movement and so if then you're seeing it from a well no foul but play was stopped I guess you have to resume with the drop ball but I still maintain that at the very least could have been a free kick for the kind of rough tackle after the ball is gone makes the contact with Mane but then I also believe like according to the rule changes that if you like engage in contact outside of the box that continues inside of the box you give the penalty and to me that also could have been the justification for this being a pen so the drop ball slightly strange the decision to change it and make it nothing was definitely strange to me <laughs> very much so and it wasn't the only strange thing it's the, there was a moment i think when jordan henderson was brought down in the box and mm-hmm. flamengo got a free kick for it yep um and it seemed every other instance uh the referee was very whistle happy like any kind of contact at all seemed to, seemed to draw a foul but it would just it just seemed i mean they used it was a qatari referee wasn't it i uh, yes i believe it was i mean why why they couldn't have used like a, a higher ranking shall we say referee from elsewhere in the world for such mm-hmm. an important game i don't know but uh, it, it, it was a very strange game in many respects that the refereeing being one of them certainly it certainly was. And then and then it was more end-to-end than I expected. Flamenco came yeah. out and looked a stronger team than I was expecting after their semifinal. Liverpool looked same old Liverpool, especially like lately the Liverpool. The narrative has been don't always look impressive, don't always look impenetrable in the back, but always find a way to win. Here they were impenetrable. They don't concede a goal. They get the win. Uh, Klopp slightly vindicated, I guess, for bringing a full-strength squad at the expense of the Carabao Cup because it's the Carabao Cup, so whatever. Uh, and, and, and really, in the end, it's Liverpool going away in the winter break having it what or not even having like a winter break but you get what i mean now being 10 points ahead with a game in hand and being club world champions a decent amount of momentum from them i would have to assume yeah it seems like a pretty good place they're in and i will say um, you touched on there give credit to flamengo there because uh this was their 79th game of 2019 that's quite a lot of miles they put on those legs and i thought they were 79 79th game of 2019 yeah obviously their seasons work so that it's designed so they'll play more in the calendar year but um 
they were they were so much better than say in the Libertadores final. I thought this. T- I was expecting exactly. like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the complete lack of defence, and well, they they played a very high line, which I suppose Liverpool tried to exploit and successfully did on a few occasions. But I, I was very impressed with Flamengo and how how good a match they were for Liverpool in this game. And my understanding is that their their success in South America in Brazil has been because they sort of model their style more on the European style, which probably mm-hmm. comes from their manager uh, Larry David's friend Richard Lewis. Um, <laughs> but it was a very very positive performance from them and. It's one of the best South American sides in this competition for a while, I would hesitate to say. Yeah, because they had the like the Felipe Luises, the names you sort of uh, recognize Rafinha in there too. But then there's uh, the Arasqueta, the Uruguayan player who like Daryl and I were kind of hyped about uh, in the past World Cup. And so to see him involved, him uh, creating chances, and then obviously Gabigol up top, yeah. having a resurgence, starting to attract more attention from Europe. We'll see if that ends up coming to fruition. But he had some moments. There was that one like... Overhead kick, almost a bicycle that would have been a very, very, very headliny moment. Instead, it's easily saved. But there were definitely some chances. That's a great save by Alisson. So uh, that I think kept it scoreless at that point. They have a very good chance late that they probably should have finished, but they put over the bar. So Flamengo very much in this game could have equalized, could have sent it to overtime, could have won in regulation. In fact, yeah, but in the end, it's Liverpool who definitely missed some chances of their own as well. Firmino had the relative sitter in the very beginning, though. I have a little bit of issue with the way that's been discussed because it sort of is like, oh, Firmino finishes to make up for his horrible miss in the very beginning. But that was a horrible miss after, like, incredible control and, like, awareness of where he was and just put it over. I was pretty impressed by Roberto Firmino, as I tend to be. Uh, Ryan, did anything else stand out to you from this game? Yeah, a few things. I thought Bruno Enrique was very good. I thought Everton Rivero was very good for Flamengo. And Mm. if we're going to talk about bad misses, surely we have to talk about in uh, extra time uh, Lincoln. Um, yeah, having that one leap over the bar. A Lincoln shot hasn't been that bad since the Ford's Theatre. There Taylor, it thank is. Thank you very much. Pause for applause. Pause for applause. There we go. Yeah, we'll move on. Um, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a very. I don't interesting want to put game. in applause now. If, if I if I had more time and was a slightly better editor, that might actually happen. And the other thing I wanted to note is the miraculous uh, appearing and disappearing cramps <laughs> that the Flamengo team had. Whenever they were, you know, not not mm-hmm. behind, everyone had a cramp. You know, Diego Alves, the goalkeeper, he, he had cramp all the time. Even mm-hmm. Gabigol went down a few times. As soon as that uh, Firmino goal went in, oh, it magically disappeared. Wasn't that fun? Strange, right? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Isn't that weird how the cramp just disappeared? <laughs> uh, so Liverpool with the win uh, will return to action on Boxing Day they're uh, away to Leicester City then mm. they're uh, in quick succession in like six days three games home to Wolverhampton home to Sheffield home to Everton in the FA Cup and then finally on January 11th away to Tottenham so they've got uh, five decently big games coming up some would appear to be more winnable than others though Sheffield United have been difficult for some teams this year Ryan are you expecting any sort of downturn in form for Liverpool or do you think if anything this propels them to like to continue on as they've been doing or maybe even improve you'd feel like they have to drop some points somewhere that's a game every three days isn't it and I think my one concern would be maybe Van Dyke in that he did miss the semi-final didn't he with a Mm -hmm. an illness did they call it I think that was uh, yeah something like that so if that transpires to be anything more, that could be interesting. But it just feels like this is prime and a fullback gets injured or something something derails the team at this mm-hmm. point. For the narrative of this season, it feels like this these next five games could be very, very important for Liverpool. And I'd be so surprised if they got through with uh, four points from those five games. Yeah. I or mean, not, obviously not four points from the FA Cup game. That's not how that competition works but you know I knew what you meant though I knew what you meant and that'll be Everton obviously coached by Carlo Ancelotti we'll talk more about uh, Mm. his Everton team uh, a little bit later but yeah I would say like Leicester losing this weekend maybe they'll be looking for a rebound Wolves are obviously tricky as I said Sheffield obviously tricky and then Tottenham you have to believe that Jose Mourinho would love to derail Liverpool season so everyone has good reason to go at Liverpool if they make it through that run of games relatively unscathed I mean at this point it already feels like the title is definitely theirs I I saw the stat that I think only one team has ever lost the title from this position of being 10 points clear before like we're even in the new year that would be Newcastle seems unlikely oh, yeah. Liverpool do it but maybe these games will be uh critical in how things go so we'll keep an eye on that and we'll obviously keep an eye on all things uh Premier League over this sort of congested fixture window as it is uh and let's move to the Premier League now let's start with uh Man City's 3-1 win over Leicester City uh for a little while it did not seem like this was going to go Man City's way uh they they go 1-0 down uh courtesy of a lovely Jamie Vardy chip City fight back 
end up getting the win. And I want to say thumbs up to City right there for having that fight back because I'm convinced that if they drop points in this game, if they only got the draw, you would have seen a lot of pep out City in crisis because they've been dropping points and because Mikel Arteta is leaving to take over Arsenal. That would have probably factored into it a little bit of, oh, they've lost their coach. They sort of lost that drive. Guardiola can't motivate anymore. Like, this is it. They're done. And instead, I think that narrative at the very least gets postponed a few more weeks because this is a very good Leicester side that they were able to fight back and uh, get the three points. Yeah, definitely. I think you can say what you want about this City side and the, the manner in which they've dropped points so far this season. But the one thing you can't take away from them is that mental fortitude, the metal mm-hmm. that they showed last season to do that. Was it 14 games to win out the season um, last season? And you, you can see when the chips are down this team is very good and this was probably the best city performance of the season so far wasn't it just it was. outstanding all the way around and like particularly on that right channel you know de bruyne was completely unplayable once again he's really really excellent this season uh, riyad maris had a had a stunner as well in this one didn't he he did he did he and he was he was sort of up for it against his old team, you could see reasons why City were so happy to spend as much as they did to bring him in because of what he offers, both in terms of just consistent attacking threats, but also the control, the ability to slow it down if you need him to, the ability to pull people out with his runs. I thought he was he was excellent. But to your point about Kevin De Bruyne, he really is almost unplayable at, at this moment. Mm-hmm. He had another kind of whipped shot from distance that careens off the post. If that goes in, that's three lovely takes from distance in, I think, three games or maybe yeah. four games. But he reminds me, I've talked about this before on the show, but like when it was peak Didier Drogba for Chelsea with Mourinho there, he had one, I remember, where he like dribbled to the end line, was maybe two yards from the end line, like three yards from the corner flag, and turned and had a shot that almost went into the near post and got pushed wide for a corner. And I remember the commentator saying something like, if you're, like, if you're a normal player, that would never even occur, occur to you to shoot from there. But when you're, when you're an in, in, informed Didier Drogba, you're always going to shoot no matter what. And that's kind of how I feel about Kevin De Bruyne. Not that he's selfish or anything, but just that he seems like he is capable of shooting and putting the ball in a difficult uh, position for the goalkeeper from any angle and it makes him really fun to watch because at any given moment he might pop up and hit a screamer from 30 yards out yeah definitely very high in confidence I think you can say that about De Bruyne at the moment and I'd say probably confidence was running through a lot of players who haven't performed to their best in recent weeks Benjamin Mendy had a really good game, didn't he? It was quite uncharacteristic for him lately, but he was he was very impressive. He got an assist as well. Uh, Bernardo Silva was looking good in sort of a deeper role. Uh, and Ilke Gundogan um, playing in in that really important defensive midfield position uh, did himself pretty well as well. And I think shows a lot of his confidence that he was the one who took the penalty. That was interesting, wasn't it? That he took the penalty. Yes, yes, it was, and 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 I liked it. I got no problems with that. I thought it was it was a it was a well played game for Man City. They spread the love around, and maybe that's mm. what you got to do for Leicester. I, I'm sure we have some fans who will be disappointed because this could have kept them quote unquote of the title race, but could have kept them uh, with an even bigger gap ahead of Man City as things stand. Uh, it's Liverpool with 49 points, Leicester with 39, Man City with 38. Leicester and City having played a. Uh, what game more than Liverpool? I should clarify: Leicester City having played a game more uh, than Liverpool, as have Man City. Um, mm. But for for Leicester, I do think we saw sort of what has worked for them this season: being direct, like on the counter, but then having the technical ability to play through the middle if they need to. I think Leicester fans, though they may be sad by this loss, should feel confident that top four is very much theirs for the losing. Uh, but I would expect them, just because it's reminiscent of when they won the title for me, of people kept expecting teams to figure them out and them have to t- have to change their approach. Thus far, they haven't, and it's been working. So I don't see why that would stop. Yeah, definitely. And I think there was, this was a, a game where you mentioned the technical ability to play through the middle. That was, City shut that down, basically, didn't they? Mm-hmm. This was, they were forced to play it long. They were forced to go wide. And it was... Pep Guardiola had Brendan Rodgers' number in this one, and Rodgers didn't. I suppose he did change up a little bit towards the end, but he didn't. He didn't do enough to to no. make to, to, to get them back into the game. But just any time, I think what it, what what it comes down to for me is Jamie Vardy might be like one of the best players I can think of, at least in the last like five years, of being on that back line, but then still being able to bring the ball down, still be able to control with with pace, and still yeah. finish from ridiculous angles himself, and still like. Even if he misses one or two here and there and has an off game or has two games that are off, he still you can kind of count on him to at least put it on frame, to at least like challenge the goalkeeper. And I think if you can back your center forward in a 1v3 or 1v2 situation and he routinely finds a way to score, that's got to give you at least a little bit of optimism for if your midfield is entirely shut down. 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, congratulations to Vardy for beating old man Fernandinho to the ball for that first goal. <laughs> I mean, with, a, with a belly full of Skittle vodka, to be fair. But it was a, it was a good, decent finish for that, for, that, for that chip as well, wasn't it? Uh, any, it certainly was. Any other uh, points from this game? I think we're all set. Oh, oh, one right. other thing I'll say. One oh. other thing. There was an instant where Edison sort of smashed into Harvey Barnes in a very, not a million miles away from an instant with a Tottenham goalkeeper, mm-hmm. which we'll probably discuss later. VAR wasn't even consulted, yet it seemed like a very similar instant, which was yep. curious. And particularly for a team like City, who do play themselves as the victim of VAR on a regular basis, they kind of got let off a little bit with that one, I thought. Yeah, that won't be included in the, in the litany of times that it's gone against them. They no, the lawyers aren't drawing it. that one up for sure. Yeah. Probably not. We, uh, we'll talk more about that Tottenham game in just a moment uh, because there are things to talk about, uh, both good and very bad. Uh, but first, let's talk about today's sponsor. It's SeatGeek. Uh, with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way to find tickets. You can search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. I mentioned last week they had... Very much discounted Washington Redskins tickets. Uh, my in-laws used that opportunity to go see the Washington Redskins, I should add, because they were playing the New York Giants. And my in-laws are fans of the New York Giants. But they still utilized the sort of SeatGeek services to find the, the, the cheaper tickets than they would have been, certainly when the season was announced. And they were able to go see the game. So you can utilize SeatGeek to allow you to see games. That's exactly what it's for, Taylor. SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web. It rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10 and displays them on an interactive seat map. So it's simple to find what you're looking for. The green dots, them's good deals. Red dots, them's not so good deals. I've been looking at an event called the Superb Owl. It's some kind of bird show that's happening at the Hard Rock Stadium in Florida mm-hmm. in February. Uh, if you want tickets the for the lower sideline, um, $8,000. For, for oh, the lower sideline for that for that event, uh, the bird show there, and totally manageable. Yeah, the cheapest on 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 um, SeatGeek right now is three point three thousand dollars for the upper level end zone, and that's a that's a good deal. Interesting. So, so you're shopping for for Christmas presents for me? Is that what I'm hearing? What do you get? The podcaster who's got everything, Taylor. That's what you get. <laughs> Superb owl tickets. Or the other the other event I was looking at is. Um, did you know that Motley Crew? are on tour this summer despite i think they've done like two or three this is our last tour ever tours uh they're on they're tour just, def- they're just moving from all you can eat buffet to all you can eat buffet right that's how <laughs> that's in vince neil's rider i think oh boy i, I wouldn't want to hazard at what's in his rider but uh, he's playing with uh, <laughs> def leopard poison and joan jet that's the most wow. 80s bill you could imagine uh, that's going all over the summer this summer i'm looking at the tickets for bank of america stadium you can get some good deals for that 145 dollars. you can see that show for you break that down per act that's still too much. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's not too much, or maybe you wanted, to, maybe you were going to pull the trigger, but it was like just $10 too much, well, then we've got good news because yeah. SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code, which is TSS. Just download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code TSS for $10 on your first purchase. Once again, that's promo code TSS for $10 off your first purchase. If you're listening to this show and you're realizing, oh, uh, Christmas is two days away. The holidays are obviously here. I haven't gotten my shopping done. Maybe just look on SeatGeek and see if there's like something that your partner or whomever you're buying for might be interested in. It's an easy way to kind of cover your bases without having to leave the office. If you're in a cold weather climate, you can just order the tickets there. Then you can uh, you know, say, oh, yeah, I plan this month in advance, even if you didn't. That's where SeatGeek comes in. So thank you to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode and potentially saving the holidays for a couple listeners. Um, let's talk about what needs to be done to save the holidays for Tottenham, uh, who lost 2-0 to Chelsea, though that seems to have been the sort of uh, least important aspect of this game. Ryan, where do you want to start recognizing that that's a sort of loaded question? This whole game was just... It's just a, 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 it was a very depressing day, wasn't mm-hmm. it? This this game at Tottenham Stadium. Obviously, the uh, the incident to which you're referring is the uh, racist incident. I think maybe incidents, possibly uh, directed mm-hmm. at Antonio Rudiger, who was um, fouled by Hongmin Son, um, who received a red card for a very petulant and unexpected kick out yep. at the Chelsea player. And then there were three warnings made over the Tannoy system at the stadium. Racist behavior from spectators is interfering with the game. They said they got a, a th- three warnings there. And uh, it just, it just really, I find it so depressing that this, this stuff mm-hmm. still happens in 2019. And it, it's, 
it, it seems like the kind of people who do that are being emboldened. They maybe wouldn't have done that kind of thing, you know, ten years ago. And I, I think yeah. one of the, there was, there's been a lot of good reactions. I wouldn't say good reactions. There's been a lot of interesting reactions from it. Robbie Earl on NBC Soccer when he he said it, he said it really hurts like a dagger to see stuff like this. And mm-hmm. the look on his face, it was heartbreaking to see the way Robbie Earl reacted to that. And there was a good um, uh, little speech that Gary Neville gave as well, uh, insisting that the Premier League have to stand up to to incidents like this and he kind of tied it to politics and the sky sports presenter had to sort of say we have to say that's the opinions of gary neville and not sky and gary neville was like he was he would credit to him he said what you don't agree with me yeah and he's like well it's not it's not a case whether i agree with you and it, it just felt like that was a very 2019 moment that the there had to be a balanced view on something that's mm-hmm. not very balanced there's no there's no two sides to that story is there no w- was part of that because he took it into the political realm is do you think yeah. that's where they wanted to distance that, i think that's where he wanted to distance but it wasn't it wasn't yeah. made very clear was it, 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 it no it really was well handled yeah no and, and i do agree to some extent with what gary neville was saying that like when you have like extreme issues like this, like articulated and often like uh, I guess continued by people in elected positions or like noteworthy people around the world. Uh, I've already talked about our current president. I don't want to keep going down that road, but you know, the shoe fits. Uh, so <laughs> like, like I think that it will permeate into games because if it becomes normal behavior outside of the stadium, it'll be behavior inside of the stadium. I'll say this, though. Like, I don't want to paint Tottenham with too broad of a brush because it certainly was not... Even some of the stuff we've seen in Serie A this season where it's groups and you can hear it and it's very clear and you can there's video of it. In this instance, it does seem like it was... It, uh, I've heard it being, uh, it was like monkey chants. I've heard it was a, a song. I've heard it was a few people. I've heard it was one individual. But it doesn't seem like it was this like very massive thing that happened that then the, the club tried to distance itself from immediately. The club mm. has said they're investigating. They're going to take very strong action. I do think um, we were talking to somebody from the Bundesliga a while back. And basically they were like talking about the security measures in place at, at new stadiums in the Bundesliga and that they're able to basically identify any person in the crowd because they have so many high-powered cameras that are of such good quality. They can really spotlight anybody if they need to to see what's going on. I would assume Tottenham have that in their brand-new stadium. So I would expect that we're, we'll hear something about a person who's been identified or a person brought in for questioning or a couple of different people. And I do expect it to be dealt with with that individual fairly harshly. But my question for you then, Ryan, is, is is that enough? Is sending the message to one person or a group of fans by banning them for a year or something like that, does that get the message across? Or do yeah. you think there needs to be wider action taken? Because, and I apologize for the rambliness of this question, as you said, that, that announcement ran three times. I'm still not sure why, because I think it was only one incident. Maybe it was two. But if it reads three times, I believe they're supposed to like, like discontinue the match at least temporarily. They didn't really do that. They paused it momentarily. But I think maybe the protocol wasn't necessarily followed. So I'm wondering if there are things that you would like to see done differently going forward. Uh, I would like to have seen one of the managers pull their team off the field at that point. I think mm-hmm. that would have been a, 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 a good a good moment. for Maybe Lampard to, to have done that. Uh, but also it would have been good if Mourinho had done it, although his team were losing 2-0. So mm-hmm. there might have been different signs read into that. But I, I mean, in terms of punishment, I think it just has to be the harshest punishment possible i think you have to get the message through to these kind of people who think that's tolerable in this society and i floated this idea on twitter and i think i've mentioned it here before but i think that if you get a ban if you're caught red-handed with this kind of thing you should get banned your children and your children's children i think a hundred year ban is something that you could do and obviously there's an argument that you can't punish the child for the sins of the father or whatnot but how else are you going to let these people know that what they do is wrong and i think you could team that with punishing the team specifically taking points away Mm -hmm. taking wins away that's the only kind of thing that's going to get the message through that this is not all right i mean lots of you know it seems like we're in the same cycle of an incident like this happens uh statements are made clubs say they're going to investigate and then it's just you know this is the second time in three weeks this has happened this happened at the manchester derby as well a similar incident yep there there is a clear problem here and as you mentioned you 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 tied it to politics there in this country but the, 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 the 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 two major parties in the uk there was an election couple of weeks ago and both parties accused of racism mm-hmm. and <laughs> that's you know it's come from the top down that kind of thing isn't it and that, as i say those kind of people have been emboldened and I, I know this is a soccer show and we probably should talk about no, the no, soccer no. but it's it, this is this is important to get to isn't yeah. it and i think this is the kind of thing that it, it, it i just find it so depressing i'm finding it hard to articulate it without getting upset 
I, I find it depressing, especially because we've seen with like Serie A, there's this the kind of justification from a lot of not a lot, but some fans from some supporters groups from some executives in Italy that like it's not racist. We're just trying to get under the player's skin. We're trying to frustrate them so that right. they don't perform well. It's just trash talk. This is how we trash talk. I do not buy that because yeah. like it it completely supposes that you, the person who is offending and talking trash, are allowed to determine the sort of parameters for what is and isn't acceptable. And I think it's definitely the aggrieved party who's allowed to do that. But more to the point is that like it doesn't like you don't need to do that like that. I like you could just is like I have no problem with in that incident with Son Heung-min getting the red card. Rudiger maybe makes a meal of it. We can talk about that, too. Mm. I get the idea of booing his every touch or giving him stick or the fans like it, it's part of the game a little bit whether or not you like you like it it is the case that you're gonna get fans hurling abuse hurling insults sometimes it's even good naturedly you're gonna tease the player to try to throw them off a little bit like I don't really have an issue with that it's the idea that like you are so worked up and so frustrated that the only thing you can think to do is sing a racist song or make a racist chant suddenly that's not a like like oh i'm i'm caught up in the emotion of the game that is the emotion of the game bringing out deep seated beliefs that maybe you're trying not to have be like front and center but in that moment when you can't control the emotion those come out and i think that does speak to a larger issue i don't know how spurs necessarily police that because again it wasn't this massive group but i think you're absolutely right that identifying the the perpetrator or perpetrators banning them maybe banning their children and their children's children all the way down no descendants shall ever support this club maybe that's the way to go if it happens again maybe it is a a like stadium ban for one game or something but i do think there's an opportunity here for england to sort of take the lead and take a step forward as opposed to putting out a bunch of statements to make everybody seem like or to make it seem like everything's being dealt with and then not doing anything. I just find it baffling that this happens in London, one of the most yep. cosmopolitan cities in the world yep. in 2019. I saw a, I saw a tweet worded to the effect of I look forward to the day when a racist won't stand up and say that kind of thing through fear of being having the s beaten out of them by the people around them. And I don't yeah. encourage violence in that respect, but I thought that's kind of a good point, isn't it? We need to get to the point where they're not emboldened to do that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this is like, this is kind of weird. So I apologize if this if this gets too confusing. But like, uh, <laughs> stay with me. I feel like it's almost better to have just like an out and out racist screaming racist things because they know they're racist and that is like their belief system. It's abhorrent and terrible. But at least, like, it's open, like, almost. Whereas a person who just sort of is like, oh, what's the big deal? It's not a big issue. Like, who cares? It doesn't hurt anybody. It's like, no, it it clearly hurts people. It clearly is offensive. And the idea of, like, ignoring things that are racist because I don't find them that racist, like, removes the idea of, like, other people being involved and your actions having consequences. So I think it's that little bit of, like, oh, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to say something racist. That I find more disheartening than anything else as opposed to just, you know, hurling. You know, just say you suck. That's all you got to do. That's enough. Yeah. That's plenty. <laughs> that would be fine. Um, let's get to, to that that moment itself, though, uh, with the foul on Rudiger. Uh, Son, Son Heung-min is kind of, like, on his back, has his feet in the air, kicks up. Definitely into the torso, chest, ribs of Rudiger, who falls down. Uh, Mourinho made a comment afterwards about how, like, like Rudiger is obviously going to the hospital to be checked. That was a bit tongue-in-cheek. Eh. Um, and I found myself sort of, like, uncertain about this one because I think I agree with Frank Lampard that, like, any time there's contact, you're, you're maybe going to go down and we don't know what happened, that maybe Rudiger, like, sold it a little bit, but what would you do in that moment? And I honestly don't know the answer because if a person... Like, I think Sung Hyun Min, the point there is to do it really quickly. In a, it's a moment of, like, I think anger. He had a little bit of rage all. He had the red mist and just had that little kick out. And I think it probably didn't hurt Rudiger, but there's that moment of, like, I know what you just tried to do. Yeah. And I don't know if you've had that, Ryan, but I've had that before when it's like, you just tried to hurt me or tried to get me to retaliate. And that awareness in that moment, it's like, if, if it's not enough to actually hurt you, but you know what that player was trying to do. It does bring about this, like, do I yell at the ref? Do I yell at this guy? Do I, like, like it, it's sort of, you don't quite know how to act. And so I'm not surprised that Rudiger made a meal of it because it's like, hey, this guy sort of just tried to kick me in the chest. 
I would like that to be reviewed and looked at. And that's exactly what happened. So maybe he made it a little bit uh, more of what it was than it was. But I still think with the intent from Seung Hoon Min, even if it was momentary, even if it was just red mist, it's still a red card for me. And I think uh, justifiable from the official. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's interesting how you know how upset some Hongmin Sun was when he got his last red card. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not that kind of player. Maybe he's becoming that kind of player. Right. I think yeah. he's the issue. That reminded me. This incident reminded me a lot of Beckham at France '98 when he kicked uh, Pochettino, wasn't it? Uh, for oh, Argentina, yes. um, just that petulance, just that. Why did you swing out? What so unnecessary? You've been riled up and you've fallen it, into the trap. I always forget. Was it Pochettino or was it Simeone? Both of them are involved. Ooh. I can't remember if it's like Simeone is the one that makes him angry, so then he kicks out of Pochettino or vice versa. It was Pochettino in my head. I'm going to have to okay. VAR review that one. I'm not sure. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, there were other VAR reviews in this game we can talk about while you do it yourself. Um, let's talk about Gazaniga for a moment. Oh, I'm going to say thumbs down to Gazaniga for whatever he was thinking there. Uh, comes <laughs> off of his line. It's a ball over the top, I believe, uh, from Willian. Uh, Marcus Alonso running onto it. Gazaniga tries to go for like a flying volley. Misses the ball, but makes full contact with Marcus Alonso. Referee Anthony Taylor initially gives it as a free kick for Tottenham. Uh, uh, the Chelsea players explode. The crowd is very confused. Um, I forget. I think it was Everton Sanchez puts his hands on his head. I forget who it was for Tottenham, but somebody was just like not really hiding the fact that they thought it was uh, an atrocious challenge. <laughs> it goes to VAR, and it is indeed overturned. Yellow card for Gazaniga, penalty for Chelsea. Uh, Ryan, I've been talking a lot about this. So first, I, like, I have an idea as to what happened here, but I don't want to just launch straight into another monologue. Instead, I'd like to ask you, sort of as you were watching this, what went through your head? Because I feel like you probably like saw this happening and then maybe there was a moment of silence and then I assume hilarious things occurred. <laughs> I think what went through my head was, oh my gosh, that's a penalty 100%. How- <laughs> right? I, I, yeah. mean, I can imagine on the Tottenham training ground today, they're sort of teaching teaching Gesnigger <laughs> that, you know, you can use your gloves. You can use your, right. Goalkeepers can use their hands. Like, and then maybe t- telling him, explaining him that you don't have to use your high foot in that situation. Just what on earth was he doing there? And, it, I, and this I don't is a, know. This is another example of how I know I'm very down on VAR, but this was another example of, yes, it's being used correctly because I can understand a referee, if he doesn't have a perfect view, the instinct being to protect the defender in this instance. And maybe, maybe not because this was fairly cut and dry, but uh, this was a good use of VAR. And I, I still can't understand what was going through his mind when he. All, when he, all when he I can that. figure is that if you asked him, he wouldn't really be able to say because it feels like one of those. He's reacting in a couple seconds to a ball over the top, which maybe he thought was a back pass. I don't know how he would have thought that. Yeah. So, But if maybe that's part of the equation, he's running at a full speed, but maybe simultaneously doing the math of, oh, I'm not going to be able to get this one with my hands, so I'll go with my feet. But then I think realizes, oh, I'm probably not going to be able to get that either. And so I think as he is starting to make that jump, I'm going to guess he still hasn't really made his mind up about what he's going to do, which is why the only thing he ends up doing is colliding with Marcus Alonso. Um, my thinking on maybe where Anthony Taylor's head was in this, there's a replay where you can see his viewpoint more or less, and it's obviously from behind the run of play. And if you watch it from that angle, you'll see Marcus Alonso. From that angle, it looks like he steps in to Gazaniga, like in, basically steps into that contact, maybe could have avoided it, but then instead like steps to the right and gets cleared up by Gazaniga. And I think that's what Anthony Taylor initially thought was, oh, he sort of saw that contact coming, moved in so it looked worse. But when you watch it from every other angle, you can see that it's Marcus Alonso realizing, oh, this guy's about to collide with me. Yeah. I've got to like protect myself. And so he basically like stops his run and sort of squares up, which takes him a little bit of the path of Gazaniga. But it's him, if you watch it from the other angle, doing all the defensive action of, oh, this person is about to come flying into my head and torso. I need to defend myself. And I think maybe that's where VAR told Anthony Taylor, to his credit, he went and checked it. And I think saw, oh, yeah, I got this one wrong. And it's a penalty correctly given. Yeah, very much so. I, I, it's just an absolutely bizarre instant. When I, was, when I first saw it, I was thinking, did he think he was outside the box? But then you Another good still, question. Just, just use your head. <laughs> you, don't need, you don't need to do the high boot thing. Still you not don't. necessary. You don't have to. You don't have to. Um, and, and this was a strange game because you have the song Red Card. You have the incident off the field. You have this moment. And I do think, very briefly, we should give credit to Chelsea because with all of that sort of 
chaos and drama happening, it's easy to overlook that Frank Lampard made some choices in this game. Uh, he, they went with a back three. They went with a more like Antonio Conte formation of the 3-4-2-1. Yeah. A really narrow front three uh, of that 2-1 that caused a lot of problems for, uh, for Tottenham because it made them compact, but then there were overlapping runners. And I think Frank Lampard really got this game entirely right. Mm, three, four, two, one, and very festive Christmas tree style. I enjoyed yeah. that very much. Uh, but this was an example of you know the the, the student outclassing the, uh, the the teacher, wasn't it? Basically, with, mm. with uh, Mourinho being out tactics by Lampard, as he was incidentally um, in the last time they met. The only other time they've met, which was the League Cup last year, Man United derby, which uh, Lampard got the better of too. Um, hmm. Chelsea were faster. They were they they made better decisions. They looked much more composed. And oh, it just, I, man, I, it took me a minute. I was so confused. I'm sorry. You said Man United Derby, and I was like, the Manchester Derby? Like, Lampard <laughs> was coaching City? It took me a minute to realize that you were actually saying Derby <laughs> County. My bad. Gotcha. Let's move on. <laughs> Try to keep up, darling. Anyway. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I suppose my point was that Chelsea were made to look very good as well by Tottenham, <laughs> who were just pretty poor yep. all round here, weren't they? And, I mean... There's lots of questions for Tottenham. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Aurier wasn't great again. I mean, if, if they want to buy a new right back, what are they going to do in that situation? Who'd want to buy Ericsson now? Who? Well, how much? How big yeah. a trade bait is Ericsson these days? It's they've it's, got they've got some issues. Ericsson being one of them. Aurier. I mean, if you listen to Mourinho's comments after the game, I don't know how they don't buy another right back <laughs> because Aurier concedes the corner that leads to the first goal for Willian. Completely needlessly. He goes for the header. He misjudges it. He flicks it out of bounds for a corner. Then the corner stick and short. It's Willian to, I believe, Kovacic. Kovacic back to Willian. Willian cuts inside and shoots. But Aurier is clearly the one who's supposed to be there for the short corner. He sort of jogs out. By the time he gets to Willian, Willian is already in the box. Does a quick step over. Like, throws the head one way. Cuts back the other. Aurier, like, soundly beaten. Like in the sense that he's not falling over, he's not posterized, but it's just William does everything he needs to open up that little bit of space to get that shot off to score that goal. And I think afterwards to listen to Mourinho talk about, like, we've worked on defending set pieces, the players know how to defend set pieces, we've pre- worked on short corners, the players know how to defend short corners, and we didn't do it today. There was, like, a lack of mental focus. I think you could pretty much read that as, I need a new right back, Serge Aurier's got to go. Yeah, and the the yeah mental weakness I think is a big key in this team. I think it's mm-hmm. it's still some still something present in that respect. This was this was worse than any Poch performance I can remember for sure. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it, it was them torn apart without without really having an answer for how to deal with it. Yeah. It was them having like the the mental weakness, the the weird strange uh, decisions that we've talked about already, uh, and then a lack of consistency up top, an inability to find Harry Kane. I think a lot of the other issues you've already mentioned. Yeah. I think there are worrying signs for Spurs. We'll see how they deal with them uh, in January or before, since they've still got some games before the yeah. new year. Um, but we've gone very long already. We've still got many games to talk about. Let's do some quick hits here. Let's go to Everton Arsenal. Uh, nil-nil in that one, by all accounts, the worst game of the season. Jermaine Jonas- Janus uh, called it uh, the worst game of the season. Uh, it was pretty dull overall. I think there were only three shooting chances. I can't remember if there were any on target. So I'm just going to ask you this, uh, Ryan. If you had been sitting in the stands, because both Carlo and Chilotti and Mikel Arteta were, who would you rather have been? Not necessarily from like an, an age uh, suaveness standpoint, although they both have some f- fantastic eyebrows, both of those managers. Wh- whose position would you rather be in looking at those two teams and sort of what, the, the, what their expectations are now for the remainder of the season and going forward? I think I'd rather have been the Arsenal fan TV guy. At least he gets to leave. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> good answer. I, I'm not, it's, a, it's a great question. I don't know how to answer. I, I'm inclined to say Angelotti because I feel like there's more building blocks at Everton. I feel like there's, there's a bit less, a less rebuilding required at Everton, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. But, and, yeah, uh, I, I almost, I, yeah, no, it does. And I'm interrupting. Go ahead. No, you you go. I, I I said and, but I didn't have anything to complete the thought. All right, all right. <laughs> it's 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 a it's one where if if you let me go too long, Ryan, I could probably do ten minutes of like, but go it could on. be this, but it might be that, but it could be this, but it might be that. But I think like with Mikel Arteta, I I do think you're right that there are maybe some stronger pieces at Everton right now because there's a many more pieces at Arsenal that need to be cleared out. There's a few mm-hmm. of those at Everton as well. But I think Arteta, because he has a little bit of the club legend status, is the sort of candidate that they looked at years ago and maybe should have brought in then but chose not to now he's there i think he'll be given a lot of leeway and a lot of freedom to potentially do what he wants that said we did the show last week um in which maybe there's a bit more of a backroom issue so we'll see what players he's able to bring in yeah but i think he gets the maybe longer leash whereas carlo Ancelotti 
given the way it ended at Bayern and then obviously the way it ended at Napoli, like, I, I don't know if there will be as much pressure on him immediately, but there will be high expectations because of the caliber manager he is going to Everton. Genuinely no disrespect to Everton, but you look at Carlo Ancelotti's resume, Everton stand out, and, and not even in a bad way. They are just a, a notice, noticeable difference from the clubs he has previously managed, at least recently. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's pressure on him, but I do think there is going to be expectation, and if you don't see kind of immediate changes and some of those big personalities start performing to that next level, I do have, like, basically I'm a little more worried about Carlo Ancelotti than I am Mikel Arteta right now. That's, that's sort of my answer. Really? What's the yeah. difference between pressure and expectation? Because you define them differently there. Yeah, I think, I think simply just that, like, I don't think anyone is going to be, like, like if he loses the first two or three games, I really don't think you're going to hear, like, oh, this is a mistake, he's got to go, in the way that maybe you'll hear a little bit of that from Mikel Arteta if he comes in and they lose the next three games or two games. But I think what you will hear is sort of like, Carlo Ancelotti, he's this Champions League winning manager, he's won everything everywhere, he's amazing. You already kind of heard it with Duncan Ferguson talking about him after the game. And I think, it like, because of that, he has a bit more freedom right away but I also think then that like there's this idea that he's going to turn it around and he's this amazing manager and if that then doesn't happen I think that does kind of flip from he's got a lot of interest on him to then that interest kind of compounds into pressure Mm. yeah I can buy that did that make any sense to you yeah I, I get it I get it I think generally I think the horizon looks a bit more rosy for Everton than Arsenal, though. You know, got, mm. uh, there's a there's a good squad on paper at Everton. You've got a manager for four and a half years who's you know a very high caliber man. You've got the new stadium coming along that looks fantastic, by the way. And then you look at Arsenal. What have they got to look forward to here? All they do is it's, it's going to be the same old complaints, isn't it? It seems like it's going to take a long time to get this team back to where it wants, where it aspires to be. And Arteta yeah. might very much be the right man for that, but we've never seen him coach a game before. So also true. Also true. He's supposed to know right. what, what, what sort of thing he's going to do. It's going to be very interesting here. But this for both managers must have been sitting in the stands going, what did I sign up for? Because it, it, <laughs> this reminded me of an ICC game, one of those preseason US games. It, it just seemed like there was not much going on at all. Yep. Yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was strange. And then the narrative afterwards was like both – uh, play like all both sets of players knew their future managers were in the stands that got talked to I think after the game in the locker room they were all trying to prove you know that they like they could be capable performers for their new coaches and it was like that was them proving that are you sure that's that's the narrative we're going to take with this one because I did yeah. not see that in this game there was there was a few like Tom Davies if he if he thinks that's going to get <laughs> Ancelotti to uh, love his yep. little shin pads then he's got another <laughs> thing coming frankly <laughs> uh, well maybe what both of them need is a little shot of Miguel Almiron who appears to be the darling of Newcastle Yay. Newcastle one nil over Crystal Palace Miguel Almiron finally scores the entire team celebrates it's been much talked about right. Ryan, did did you have much of an interest in Miguel Amaron scoring? Because like I, you obviously now have the built-in Atlanta United rivalry, so I don't know how much love you have for Miguel Amaron, but I'm wondering what your thoughts were on that goal. Hashtag screw that city. That's that's the party line. Oh boy, uh, yeah, I know that's a, that's a thing now. Um, don't worry, Atlanta <laughs> Atlanta fans are not vocal at all and not at all active <laughs> on social media, so you won't hear about that. You'll be fine. Oh boy, yeah. Um, I've never seen someone so happy. I think as when Miguel Amaron finally got that goal, yes. wasn't it joyous watching it that really celebration was. when he ran to the side? That was wonderful, and he had a good game. He was probably the best player on the pitch. Uh, I think I pulled up his stats here: ninety four percent pass succession rate. Uh, he won four tackles. He forced two saves, and he. He's someone who, for for not scoring, is very important to this Newcastle team. And someone someone who goes and watches Newcastle week in, week out will tell you that his contributions go way beyond finding the net. And he's actually been doing very well. And his patience here has finally paid off. And I think that's going to do his confidence a world of good finally getting on the score sheet. Although, let's say, the goal he got, it was a volley where he had a ton of space and... Well, there's that. Do much else apart from score. <laughs> I mean, he had to adjust a little bit. I'll give him that credit that he had to do like the hot back to then volley. So he gets himself in the right position. But yeah. you're absolutely right. And that is where I think we have to, like, if we're giving thumbs up to Miguel Amaron for the goal, you got to give it a, an equal or maybe slightly lesser thumbs up to Andy Carroll for that header. Because when the cross comes in, um, I forget who it's aimed for at the back post. It is not Andy Carroll, but he comes in full speed, wins the header, but definitely is aiming for the feet of Miguel Almiron, kind of directs it back across, but it's a mm. header down to the feet of Almiron. It's not up in the air. It's not lofted back. It is a great header to set Almiron up for, for the winning goal. So I think credit to Almiron, but also credit to Andy Carroll, which is not a sentence I expected to say this season. 
No, but he's, he's rather good at headers. That's not a newsflash for anybody. Good point. Credit to good uh, point. Steve Bruce as well for putting, uh, he shifted that 4 3 4 to kind of a 4 a 3 4 1 mm-hmm. 2, wasn't it? So Almiron was kind of more in the hole, more, more suited to, 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 more conducive him to scoring, I'd say. They're in ninth, Ryan Bailey. Newcastle are in ninth behind Manchester United. Get out on of town. Goal difference, one point behind Tottenham, three points out of European places, uh, 10 points from the last 15 possible. Yeah, I, I think I had Newcastle nailed on at the bottom of the table when we did our season previews. So yeah. well done to Steve Bruce and Newcastle for making me look foolish. And for making sure that this Ashley rain continues and nothing ever changes. Didn't think about that. Well, on that slightly downer note, let's move on to an even downer note for me. Uh, Watford 2, Manchester United nil. Oh boy, Watford, uh, bottom of the table, only on nine points when this game kicked off. Now they have 12. Uh, I am a United fan. I have made no secret of that. People are probably frustrated by the amount of Manchester United talk that somehow gets shoehorned into this show. So I'm, I'm just going to ask you this, Ryan. Or, like, do you want to launch into the, like, long-term question, or do you have any thoughts on this game that you wanted to get to first? Uh, you, give, give me the question. Hit me. All right. All right. Basically, I, I am wondering if you think that they should sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or stick with him and build towards whatever they're building towards. Because I have Man United supporting friends who are convinced that sacking managers is the wrong approach, that you've got to give Ole time, you've got to let him build his squad. If you give him a few seasons, he'll be able to figure it out. I want to believe that, but number one, I don't have any faith in the Manchester United board. And number two, for every time that the United do look good, usually against better teams when they don't have possession, uh, they look very bad in games like this against the team at the bottom of the table. And it and it doesn't feel to me like there's much of a plan for these sorts of games, and there hasn't been. So yeah. I think he is probably still there because United don't want to pull the trigger again because that looks very bad for Ed Woodward and co. But I also think because he's a club legend, he's gotten a bit more leeway. But I'm wondering if you were sort of in that position, what you would do with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I have no idea because I can't tell if he's a good manager or not. That's, it's that's weird, a, right? The, the honest truth. Because as you say... They look really bad against bad teams and really good against good teams. And then when he when they pull it off against the the, the, uh, the top six sides, and we're saying, oh, he's we and we describe what Solskjaer's done to make those wins happen or those get those points. It makes sense that oh, he really knows what he's doing. And then you see things like this where he can't motivate a team against you know mm-hmm. the worst team in the league. It's it's absolutely bizarre. And then I start thinking, well, think about Sir Alex Ferguson. What two seasons in he was. Uh, the, the fans were calling for his head. They wanted him to leave. He was very poor. And he managed to do quite all right, I think you'll agree, at Manchester United. And he he that, did okay. That, he, he did, did okay. okay. Sure, he yeah. did okay. We'll give him that. But I mean, he's no knight or anything. <laughs> I don't, yeah. It, it's just, it, it seems like Solskjaer's not going to be afforded that kind of time. I, and I don't I, think I we'll ever get to knight, find out whether he could become a Ferguson because he's that's simply not going. He's not going to get that yeah. time frame. So I don't know if you just pull off the bandaid, frankly, because the, you have to wait for the right person to come along. Obviously, and I think you can't do an Arsenal and not not have anyone in place. But I don't know. How I, do you I, how do you feel about it? Well, I I feel honestly, I feel like you you said a lot of very very good things. I think the most important thing you said there was at the very beginning with I don't know if he's a good manager or not because I think he sets up in those games against bigger teams that Man City win was tactically he got it right he got it completely right he threw something at Pep Guardiola that I think Pep did not see coming it caused massive problems he got his tactics right but obviously that's playing on the counter kind of backing your team to be defensive and then hit on the break which they did against Mm. Watford you don't see as much of a plan in my mind. I think they want to still do the counterattacking thing, but when that's not on offer, when Watford sit off or don't and like get into a very good defensive shape, and they they did that exactly. They had the kind of five midfielders all making sure they were behind the ball. There's not a lot of creativity in that Manchester United team. If Jesse Lingard is your ten, and you've got what McTominay as one of your midfielders, you got Fred in there. Rashford is is fine, but I think what happens in those games is once you start. Ha- like having that lack of fluidity in the attack, you don't keep moving the ball around. Players start to get frustrated. You start seeing more crosses. You start seeing more sort of ill-advised shooting opportunities and less patient build-up, less trying to find a way through. And yeah. I think that gets to yeah. I don't think he gets the team up for it, and I don't think there's as much of a plan B or plan C when you're going against a team that is defensive. So I still just think at the end of it, 
I don't really know what kind of manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is. It seems like the players like him, but then I don't know if the players like him because he's not making them do a bunch of running and is sort of <laughs> taking a laissez-faire approach. But I think uh, the United board should certainly be worried about their uh, present position, even if they, too, are only three uh, points off of European places, seven points off the Champions League spots. Have you seen the Reddit conspiracy about this? What's that? That this is actually a top six team conspiracy to keep Solskjaer at the wheel to keep Ollie at the wheel, basically let him do well against them <laughs> and have him uh, have him keep dragging Man United down. See the I, I like that conspiracy because it then at least removes what my sinking feeling is, which is that Mike Phelan, uh, uh, his first team coach who was there under Ferguson, is the one who's actually doing the tactical preparation, and mm. then when it's up to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to kind of figure it out on the fly and make in-game adjustments, I don't think he does that very well, if at all. And so you end up with these sorts of results. So I definitely find myself frustrated, uh, though I did turn this game off at halftime. Uh, I was waffling 50-50. I felt like I had seen this game before. And then I think the commentator said, mercifully, there's only one minute of extra time in the first half. And that was when I was like, even the commentator doesn't want to be here. I'm going to go ahead and turn this off and go do other things. <laughs> Can I offer a thumbs up to Nigel Pearson, though, please? You may. You may. Uh, I you think may. the way he's got this team organized, you know, the, the, the defense was very organized, which is... A, a great boon for Watford. You know, they, they had some good attacking elements in midfield as well. This is a really important boost for this team at this time of year. And they, they have some belief they can get out of this now. And for all that, for all his negative character traits and ostrich accusations and whatnot, Pearson's a, a good manager. He's the man who started Leicester's turnaround. He's the man who saved mm. them for relegation and put them on that path. If he hadn't have had a son who was involved in some um, naughty tapes in Thailand, he would have, you know, been he, and, you know, uh, he would have maybe been the man who led Leicester to the title. He's he's, a good, he, he's doing some really good stuff, particularly defensively, getting getting players like Delafeu to do defensive things. Who who, who saw that coming? And I, I, he, he he did some wonderful shade. On, yeah. uh, on Man United when he was asked if he expected more from them. Yep. Not necessarily. <laughs> That's such a burn. That's such a quality burn. <laughs> so if, if, if for no other reason than that, well done, Nigel Pearson, yeah. even as my urge to drink has increased. <laughs> well, it is the nogging season, Tay-Tay. It is indeed. But if I wanted to drink, I would not go to either of the places we're going to talk about next because we're going to talk about the Italian Super Cup, the Supercoppa, uh, Supercoppa Italiana, uh, between Juventus and Lazio played in Saudi Arabia. Uh, for people who aren't quite as sure what the Supercoppa Italia is, myself, uh, I was included in that group until last night. It is essentially the community shield for Serie A. It's the winner. It's the last winner of the league playing the last winner of uh, the... Uh, What's Oh, man, the Coppa Italia. Whew, I almost forgot that one. Um, and I guess that explains why then it was played in Saudi Arabia, because anytime you have an opportunity to play a quote-unquote meaningful game, uh, but that it doesn't necessarily have to be in the country, you're going to take it to a place where you might be able to make some money. I do think that was problematic because the atmosphere was minimal. Um, I, like, Juve changed their jerseys to reflect where they were playing. It just it didn't feel quite like the event that maybe it could have been otherwise, especially given that Lazio ended up 3-1 winners. The event it could have been otherwise. Are you a big fan of the uh, Super Cups? Do you think they should be uh, elevated to a high status that uh, glorify friendly? Let, let me back that up. Less more so the like actual game itself <laughs> as opposed to sort of Lazio getting the win against Juventus. Because yeah. that felt significant to me. I, like they celebrated, very, they celebrated harder for this than Liverpool did winning the Club World Cup, which maybe isn't saying that much, but it's still... Definitely the case that like they went nuts when the, when the final free kick goes in with what ten seconds to go to give mm-hmm. them the three one lead when it's very obvious. Lazio celebrated that win as though it truly was like a turning point in where things are in Italian soccer right now. And I just think if you had that in an actual Italian stadium with more than a few Lazio fans there, that atmosphere would have carried through and maybe would have gotten some more people interested in the league that could use some positive coverage and some like talk about like the few good things that are happening, basically. Yeah, but the Italian FA is just really keen to bring soccer well, to the, that. the diehard fans of Saudi Arabia, Taylor. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that, right? There's no, yeah, other, so there's no other motivations behind holding it there. And let's, no, let's be fair, uh, the Italian Super Cup is a trailblazer in holding that game abroad. I think for, even for the past decade, they've been going to like China and they've been to Saudi. I think it was Saudi last year, wasn't it? They've, um, they certainly have touted this game around a little bit. And it's a, it's a growing pattern. Is it, is it the Spanish Super Cup that's going to have four teams now as well? Oh, uh, good. They, they're, doing, they're doing lots of different things like See, that. See, Infantino's and, having that influence. It's four, next it's going to be 32. 
Yeah, and not not being preseason either. It's all very interesting, isn't it? But mm-hmm. well, it's not interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't. I, I find it hard to invest in games like this, particularly when they're held in venues like this. To be perfectly honest, yep. but credit to Lazio for pulling off yet another three-one win over Sari. The only games that Sari loses with Juventus apparently are games to Lazio by a three-one scoreline. Uh, Sari's quote after the game: "We arrived at this game short of energy, physically and mentally. Maybe because you had to fly to Saudi Arabia. Sorry, maybe, maybe it was that." Mm-hmm. This happens, he said. Meanwhile, Lazio are experiencing a moment of incredible form. Bravo, bellissimo, wonderful, yawn. Yawn, indeed. uh, (laughs) All of that was true. What I don't believe is that you were unable to enjoy this game because I have to believe the Ronaldo headband preoccupied you for like 80 to 90 minutes. This was the main talking point, right? So Cristiano Ronaldo, (laughs) who, let's let's make it quite clear, does not have long hair. He has Mm -hmm. a very short, like a number one on the blades back and sides, was wearing a headband. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The hair on his fringe, I don't believe, would even cover his eyebrows. Yet he was wearing a headband. So can we can we spend the next sort of thirty to forty minutes talking about the headband and maybe the place that unnecessary headbands have in have in the soccer landscape? Yeah. Because you're joking. Quite... I, I think we should spend some time on this. But also, I'll, I'll add when he, when he was doing his oh, I'm, at the end when they had the trophy and the medal presentation and he's looking very annoyed. He'd taken the headband off by that point. It was as if this headband has served me this far. I'm going to discard it before I throw my medal aside. Oh, right I mean, there. yeah, that wouldn't, that would, do you feel like he meant to throw the headband into the crowd and instead probably threw the metal into the crowd instead? Maybe, maybe he, anything that, anything that he could put around his neck, he did not want on his person. I think I love the point. I love that he, the haircut that you've described, I, I feel like was designed to allow him to wear a headband. Like the, the haircut existed to justify wearing the headband that like he shaved it on the sides, as you said, very short on the sides, very short on the back, but then he kind of kept it long. Like the way some people would do if they're trying to hide the receding hairline by keeping mm. flat bangs. We know what's happening there, folks. You don't need to hide it. But like That's, he like he had it just a little bit longer so then he could have the hairband up to theoretically keep it out of his eyes, even though I agree with you. I'm not sure it was even touching the eyebrows. And let's remember that that hair is chemically straightened because if you look at <laughs> look at Ronaldo oh, back in the day, he has that. very curly frizzy hair. Mm-hmm. That is not what that hair is doing right there. Yeah. Wow. I- I kind of forgot that. J- just because, like, I have the curly hair, if you put the pomade in or whatever, it'll slick it back and it will keep it back. But he actually had it, like, sort of falling over the headband but still being straight. So you're right. There's a lot of work being done yeah, to justify that headband. That's not that holding it like that. That is, oh, that is, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's put some effort into that just to facilitate right. the useless headband. Well so done, this Ronaldo. is officially headband gate. It's, it's got a gate now. We're going to stick with that. Um, a few other quick things uh, to talk about before we go, since we have gone somewhat long. I thought this might be a short show. I was wrong. Uh, we can get, say thumbs up to Gennaro Gattuso for getting his first win at Napoli. Uh, I watched the extended highlights of this game. I have no idea how Napoli got this win because they looked awful for the first 45 minutes. They could not complete passes. Sassuolo were all over them. Uh, Sassuolo probably should have been like 4-0 up at halftime. But then, around the 50th, 60th minute, uh, uh, Napoli completely changed the game, get aggressive, start taking their chances, and end up with the win. So Gattuso, certainly very happy. He gets a big hug from his goalkeeper who spreaded the length of the field to, I think, hug him. But that said... Playing 20 minutes and getting two goals maybe doesn't necessarily quell a lot of the concerns that were already existing, but still, uh, Napoli on the right path. Milan on the opposite of that, losing 5-0 this weekend. I'm going to assume there will be repercussions for that one. Yes. Uh, so that's all that's going on in Serie A, where we have, I believe, now a full-on title race. Uh, we already did, but it still goes. Inter and Juve, uh, level on points, uh, 42 apiece. Lazio just behind them with 36. Over in the Bundesliga, it remains RB Leipzig on top of the table, two points ahead of Bruising which in Gladbach, who once again dropped points this weekend in a nil-nil draw with Hertha, Jurgen Klinsmann's Hertha Berlin, I should add, Bayern Munich gaining ground there in third with 33, Dortmund in fourth with 30 points, but sticking with that Leipzig game for a moment, they end up getting a 3-1 win, they fight back uh, to get the all three points, which they obviously needed, a 3-1 win over Augsburg. The talking point here would be the return of Tyler Adams. Uh, he played 86 minutes, but he played 86 minutes at right back, which I think had some U.S. national team fans concerned 
it did not bother me as much because I am sort of of the opinion that if one of your key players is on the field in whatever capacity, they're at least on the field and playing, right? Where do you come down on that? Are you okay with uh, a central midfielder being played out of position for his club team? Minutes is minutes, Taylor. Minutes is minutes. Minutes is minutes, exactly. All right. I'm glad we're on the same page about that one. <laughs> um, and I was, I'm glad to see at least one American having a good weekend. Last weekend was pretty abysmal in terms of uh, Americans abroad. So at least Tyler Adams getting some minutes this weekend. Serginho Dest playing, I believe, the entire game in a 6-1 to win for Ajax. Uh, yeah, so a few, a few brighter spots there uh, in the Bundesliga. In uh, La Liga, Real Madrid drawing nil-nil with Athletic Club de Bilbao. Uh, we were going to talk about that one, but it was nil-nil and we didn't want to. Uh, they are now second <laughs> behind Barcelona who won, so uh, 39 points for Barcelona, 37 for Real Madrid, 34 for Sevilla, 32 for Atleti, who have announced that they're going to be bringing in Edinson Cavani in January. Uh, I don't know if he solves a lot of the issues that they have had this season, but if nothing else, he'll bring more, and it will be an even more dramatic Atletico Madrid team for the second half of the season. Yeah, definitely. That uh, that's, that could be a really good deal if that goes through. I'm excited about that one. Um, Real Madrid Athletic, I'll say, um, I, you could have seen the draw coming there because I think it's four of their last five meetings have now been a draw. This one's like a, they, I think they call it the other Clasico because I think it's the second biggest game, uh, the second most played game in the league because uh, it's Athletic, Real and Barcelona are the only three teams who have not been relegated from La Liga, if my memory serves me correct, hmm. which started okay. in 29. So yeah, they've had that. they had a big old rivalry. Madrid, I think, could end up regressing that come the end of the season, dropping two points there because mm-hmm. they hit the work three times. Uh, really probably should have made more of that game. So if that ends up being the difference in the season, this might be one of those games they look back to and say, we could have closed that one out. My final question for you with like the way this the rest of the season is going to go with with like Madrid dropping points here what that might mean for them for the rest of the year do you feel like we're poised for a bigger January than normal? Because I sort of do. Like, we, like as I said, we already have the Atleti announcement that they're going to bring Edson Cavani. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, Liverpool bring in uh, Minamo. I, I always get his name wrong. I think I've got it right. I apologize if not. Um, so, and like those are varying degrees of, of major. But it feels like Madrid, uh, both Atletico and Real Madrid need to strengthen. Bayern Munich may need to strengthen a little bit. We'll see what they do. Uh, Man City may bring in some players. Tottenham, we've talked about, may bring in some players. It just yeah. feels like we may have a very active January window in a way that I tend to just be sort of like, oh, yeah, that's happening, and maybe there'll be one or two signings. I am kind of a believer that it's not the best time to find players. It's more of an emergency time, but it feels like more teams are in sort of emergency situations than I'm used to. Definitely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think this could be one of the most busy Januaries we've had in a long time. As you say, there's a lot of clubs who've had an unexpectedly disappointing opening half to the season, and I think, yeah, a lot lot of business could be done. Uh, whether it will be or not is another question. Whether teams do pull their fingers out, but there's certainly a few high-profile moves I could see happening. I think we could have a busy uh, transfer deadline day. Uh, finally, an interesting one. Huh? Well, I look Wouldn't forward nice? to talking about that interesting uh, January with you next week and in the weeks beyond. But for now, Ryan, uh, I will let you go so you can finish up your your shopping, your wrapping, all of that good stuff, and uh, and then I will wait, talk wait, to you next shopping, week. But for now, wrapping. Why was something happening? No, no, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah. Just uh, Wednesday business as usual. Uh, you want to do like a three-hour pod on Wednesday? Does that work for you? I'd love to. What time should I come over? <laughs> Please do. Please show up. That'd be lovely. Uh, but yes, uh, Ryan, I look forward to speaking to you after the holidays. But for now, have a, have a wonderful holiday, and I look forward to speaking next week. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Happy holidays to all. <laughs>